Thanks for listening to the Seeds Church Podcast. If you're in Middle Tennessee, we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out SeedsChurchTN.com for times and locations. Now, here's our lead pastor, J.D. Swilly. 2020 is a year of strong families at Seeds Church, amen? And I just, uh, Jeff, thank you for sharing that. Just um, testimony of when you come home and you feel this is family, you know, praise God. That's, that's a win in my book. That means God's doing something good here, amen? Uh, English author Jane Howard once said this. She said, call it a clan, call it a network, call it a tribe, call it a family. Whatever you call it, whoever you are, you need one, amen? 2020 is the year of strong families at Siege Church. It's the year we've been talking uh, throughout this beginning part of the year about building blocks for strong families, biological family, church family. And whatever your situation is, maybe you're like, well, I'm single, or I'm divorced, or I'm widowed, or I'm a teenager. And I'm, we're all part of a family. Maybe you don't have a lot of family at your address, but you got family here in the church family. So, you know, no one needs to feel alone. No one needs to feel left out. Everything that we've been talking about applies to every single one of us. And why is it so important that we build strong families? Because the Apostle Paul tells us this in Ephesians chapter 6, to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And when we are, we will be able to withstand the attack of the enemy, the strategies of the enemy. Why is it so important that we build strong families? Because God wants to use our families, our biological families, this church family, to make an impact, to build his kingdom here on earth, here in Middle Tennessee. Last week, we said that that strong families engage in worship together. That was the building block that that we talked about last week. And uh, what do we mean when we say worship? Okay, because sometimes that word can mean several different things. And so we took this, uh, the word worship in this context from Ephesians chapter five, because this is, uh, if you guys remember last week, we talked a little bit about this, how Paul writes this letter to the church in Ephesus, the first three chapters, the first half of the letter, he's talking about the, the marvelous thing that God has done in the story of the gospel. And then the last three chapters, four, five, and six, he tells the church in Ephesus, he's telling us how we are to respond to what Jesus has done, amen? And so he talks about family dynamics, and right before he gets into talking about how wives should honor their husbands and how husbands should love their wives, he said this in Ephesians chapter five, nineteen. he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your heart. So when we say worship, that's what we're talking about in this context. We're talking about psalms, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in our hearts. Also last week, we talked about two important things that we need to know about worship. The first one is that we need to know is that worship is a response. Worship is a response. We worship God in response to his greatness. When the creation sees its creator, its natural response ought to be, whoa, God, you're awesome, you're holy, you're magnificent, you're powerful, you're incredible, I worship you, I place great value on you, the highest value, the highest worth, God. And then uh, we said this, Psalm 29, 9, it says, 
In his temple, everyone shouts glory. glory. Y'all are better. Y'all getting better at this. Everyone in the temple shouts glory. glory. Right. We also said that worship is a discipline. It's a discipline. It's, it's a learned behavior. No one comes out of the womb and they just know how to walk and talk and do life. They have to learn all of that behavior. They have to learn how to walk. They have to learn how to talk. They have to learn how to communicate. And just the same way, no one comes up out of the womb and they know how to properly worship the Lord. It's a learned behavior. So that means that if you feel like worship doesn't come naturally to you, that's okay because you can learn. You can be disciplined and you can learn the right way. You can train yourself so that it actually does begin to feel natural to you, right? It, this, me walking around right here, ooh, I'm, look at this, I'm walking backwards, I'm walking sideways. All that's natural. You know why? Because I've been doing it for 40 years. And some of us, we feel uncomfortable in worshiping God because we haven't trained ourselves. And so the more you train yourself, the more natural it feels, the more natural it's gonna become. So you can be disciplined, you can do it. And why do you do it? Because God is worthy, he's holy, and he's worthy of your worship, and he's worthy of your discipline. He's worthy of you learning how to worship him. We got to the end of the service last week, and we said, all right, let's practice what we preach. We got up and we worshiped the Lord. It was an amazing time. We stood and we began to worship our holy and awesome God, and what happened? The atmosphere began to shift. The atmosphere changed, and we started seeing the Spirit of God move, and we had a word of knowledge come forth about healing, and specifically, it was about healing for pain in people's backs, and sure enough, someone comes over, lay hands on somebody, I believe it was Casey, who was having back pain in that moment, lays hands on him, prays for him, and the back pain left. Praise God. Right? So... So atmospheres shift. When we worship, it opens the doors to, to the realm of the spirit in ways that, that we've not stepped into in that moment. And so as good as last week was, I know, I know it's not time to move off of this building block. There's more things we need to talk about this specific building block of strong families engaging in worship. So let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we honor you, we worship you, you are great, you are holy, you are magnificent, you are powerful. God, we sang today that you, you, you keep getting better. You keep getting better, but God, you are already the best. What keeps getting better is our understanding of you, God. You keep opening up our eyes and our revelation to how good you already are. God, there's no, there's no measure for you to increase in how good you are. You are already the best there has ever been and will ever be, God. There is no one above you or higher than you or more perfect than you or more holy than you. You are already all those things, God. But when we say you keep getting better, God, it's about us. God, our eyes and our revelation being opened to how good you are. So God, we pray that same thing today, that you continue to enlighten our understanding of who you are and how we should respond to you in the place of worship. Amen? Amen. Strong families engage in worship. Say that with me. Listen, the question is not if you're going to worship. 
That's not the question. The question is not if you're going to worship. Because, and the question is not if your family is going to worship or if this church is going to worship. The question is, who are you going to worship? Or what are you going to worship? Because every single person, every single human being on the planet worships something or someone. It's just part of how God created us. Lots of people, they worship the late Kobe Bryant. And I think that was, I'm not saying anything bad about Kobe Bryant. What I'm just saying is I, I saw this a few weeks ago when, when uh, Kobe had this untimely death. It was absolutely tragic, absolutely heartbreaking. But what did we see from the response of the greater part of the world, all over the world? We saw worship. We saw worship happen. We saw a lot of, of value placed on him, a lot of honor placed on him. And you know what? I don't, I'm not saying anything bad about that. But what I'm saying is, what I'm trying to point out is, is that we do worship. Even if it's not God, we worship. Maybe it's not Kobe Bryant that we worship. Maybe as we're talking about building strong families and how God wants to use strong families, biological families, this church family, maybe it's really easy for us to cross over into the line of actually worshiping family. And that's, what we're, that's not what we're talking about here. And when we say we're building strong families, we're not talking about worshiping our family, biological family or church family. We're saying that we want to worship the God, the heavenly father of our family, amen? And so that, I think that's an important distinction that we need to make, that, that we're talking about our first love is our heavenly father. Our first love is not our family. Our first love is not this church. Those are wonderful things. You know what? We should have high value and high honor for the people that were, are you know, living in our house, the people that are in this church house. But I don't worship this church, and I don't worship my family. My first love is the Heavenly Father. And if we look in the Scriptures, we look at the life of David, we see a bunch of examples, great examples, of how David worshiped God. David used several different expressions of worship that, that came from just his desire, his heart to honor the Lord. And as a matter of fact, we see nine different expressions throughout the life of David and how he, he worshiped God. And I'm gonna list these off to you. And as I list these off to you, I want us to run a diagnostic, okay? They're there on the screen. I want us to run a diagnostic on ourselves and see what expressions of worship that we demonstrate on a regular basis and maybe what, demonstrate, or what expressions of worship that we maybe are a little uncomfortable with or we haven't stepped into or maybe we didn't even know that was an expression of worship. So what kind of expressions are we talking about? Speaking, shouting, singing, bowing, standing, dancing, music, clapping, lifting hands. These are expressions that we ought to be familiar with because they are appropriate ways to respond to God's greatness. Now remember, we're talking about nine different expressions that were exemplified in the life of one man. We're not talking about nine different expressions that were exemplified in the life of nine different people. They were exemplified in one man. So that means it would be right for us to respond to God by stepping outside of our comfort zone. And as we look at this list, I go, oh, mm, there's some things on here that I've not used. There's some tools on here. Uh, there's some expressions of worship here that I've not stepped into 
And, and I think for some of us, we've said, well, that's okay because that's just not who I am. But uh, I'm getting ahead of myself here a little bit. But I, I just run this diagnostic on yourself here and say, where have, I, where have I been comfortable, where I haven't been comfortable, and where maybe do I need to now be disciplined where now do I need to learn a new way to express my worship to God? And maybe, just maybe, it's quite possible this. When you begin to step out of your comfort zone and start expressing, start expressing your worship to God in a new ways, you might just discover that a new facet of God that you've never seen before. A new facet of God that you've never had revelation before, at least personal revelation of just yet. And you will draw closer to God. And as you draw closer to God by expressing yourself in a different way of worship, what are you going to find? What does James 4 tell us? Draw close to God and he will draw close to us. And maybe, just maybe, the atmosphere shifts in your life. And something that's been locked up in your life, you all of a sudden see the chains fall off of that and you're stepping into freedom like you've never experienced before simply because you stepped out of your comfort zone, you became disciplined, and you decided, I'm gonna learn how to worship God in a way that I haven't worshiped him before. Man, I, I think all throughout the scriptures, I think about these opportunities and these times where um, worship was a catalyst for a huge uh, momentum shift. Jehoshaphat is going to battle. And he says, we're putting the worshipers on the front line. What are you talking about? They don't have swords. They don't have shields. They don't have spears. They don't have bows and arrows. They got instruments and voices. They got cymbals. They got strings, but not bow strings. What, what are we doing putting them on the front line? And they worship their way to the battlefield. And when they get there, what do they find? We found those armies turned on themselves and the battle is won. God won the war for them. I, I think of Paul and Silas who were locked up in prison and they begin to praise and worship God. And all of a sudden, what did it say? Suddenly, something happened. The ground began to shake. The chains fell off. Something happened. And you know what? Paul, you think Paul and Silas, woo, they ran free. They got out. That's not what happened. God used that opportunity to save a man's family. The jailer who knew that, man, my life is over. I'm gonna follow my sword now because my prisoners have left. And it, it'll be better for me to end my life now than to go through the torture that awaits me because I let these prisoners escape. And Paul and Silas said, no, we're not gonna do that to you. We're gonna preach the gospel to you and not, you're gonna be saved and your family's gonna be saved. Praise God. Atmospheres shift when we change. Or excuse me, when we worship. Atmospheres change when we worship. At the end of this service, we're gonna worship again. So I want you to go ahead and make up your mind now. I'm gonna step out of my comfort zone. I'm gonna do something I haven't done before. I'm gonna be disciplined, I'm gonna learn, I'm gonna add something to my worship repertoire. Why? Because God is worthy. Yeah. He's worthy yeah. of me getting out of my comfort zone. He's worthy of me learning a new expression of worship. Why are we doing it? Because I wanna be nearer to God. Why are we doing it? Because I want an atmosphere to shift. So go ahead and make up your mind now. I'm gonna step out of my comfort zone. I'm gonna do something. Maybe you're like, well, man, I've, I've had all these expressions in worship throughout my life. 
but maybe there's some that are a little bit more rusty than others. I say, well, where, where, am I, where do I need to, to grease the wheel here? Before we get there, I, I want to go back to David for a second. David, um, I, I think there's some things the Holy Spirit wants to highlight to us about David this morning, about worship and, and as it relates to building strong families that engage in worship. First, cha- First Samuel chapter 17, the Israelites are at war with the Philistines. And the two armies have met in the valley of Elah. And uh, the Philistines have this giant warrior named Goliath. As some scholars say this guy could have been anywhere but like nine feet, nine and a half feet tall, nine feet, six inches. That's a big old boy, you guys. That's like hit your head on the rim kind of guy. That's like when you see an airplane coming, he ducks, you know. That's a big guy. And, and every morning for 40 days, this Philistine giant warrior, Goliath, he comes out to the battlefield down in the valley, and he shouts at the Israelites, and he taunts them. He's like, fee fi fo fum we're going to kill all y'all. We're going to make you Israelites, you filthy Israelites, we're going to make you our slaves. And Goliath, he, he does this for 40 days. Then this teenage guy who's a shepherd shows up on the scene named David. David shows up and he sees what's going on. He hears Goliath. He sees Goliath taunting his people, his army. And the, Israel, the Israeli army is completely immobilized by fear, absolutely immobilized. So fast forward a little bit through some of the story. I'm not going to get into all the details just yet or, or today, but David decides that, hey, if no one else is going to stand up to this Philistine giant, this big old boy, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. So David goes out to meet Goliath. Goliath takes one look at David. Can you imagine if you're this nine foot, nine and a half foot guy in this, you know, this redheaded punk teenage kid comes out there with a slingshot? What are you thinking? Man, this is the best you can do. This is the best you can do? Yeah, you're going to send a boy to fight me? I'm going to crush you. I'm going to crush you. I'm going to feed all of y'all to the birds. But David looks at Goliath and he says, how dare you defile the name of the living God? How dare you defile the name of the living God? Do you hear the boldness? behind those words let's just let me just say it and like with no voice and flight like just like monotone how dare you defile the living god just examine those words for a second because it's pretty dramatic when i say how dare you defile the living god that's dramatic but if we just read it how dare you defile the living god just examine those words, and there's this boldness, there's this tenacity behind it. There's this, this um, man, I know what God can do. I know who God is. I've spent time worshiping God. 
I've spent time getting to know him in the secret place. I've spent time in the presence of God. I've spent time when it was just me and a a hundred sheep out in the field and a lion came and I've seen what God can do through me. And it's not about David having confidence in himself. David didn't have confidence in his sling. David didn't have confidence in his shepherding skills to to kill a nine and a half foot giant warrior. David had confidence in God because he knew who God was and he knew what God could do because he had spent time with God in the place of worship. David fires a rock from his slingshot. It sinks into Goliath's forehead. Goliath drops like a rock. David walks over there, takes out Goliath's own sword out of the sheath, kills him, chops his head off. That's where everybody's, I think, supposed to shout and holler, but I think you're horrified. (laughs) That's the power of God. When you're facing an enemy, a giant, a nine and a half foot thing, this is impossible. But I've spent time with God. I've spent time in worship. I know who he is. I know what he can do. It's not about me, but it's it's who he is. And I don't care how impossible it looks. That giant can fall. That giant's coming down. Here's the thing. When we worship God, when our families worship God, when this church family worships God, we come to know who he is. We come to know what he's capable of. When we worship, it enables us to stand boldly in the face of the enemy. When we worship, the lies of the enemy are destroyed. Worship destroys the lies of the enemy. Say that with me. Worship destroys the lies of the enemy. When Goliath said, I'm gonna kill you, David's confidence, again, it wasn't rooted in his own skill. It wasn't rooted in his own ability. He was like, man, Goliath, you talk a big game, but you don't know who my God is. He's my defender. The enemy, you guys, is gonna come at you. He's gonna come at you with lies that you will be tempted to believe. He'll tell you that you're weak, He'll tell you that you're not gonna succeed. He'll tell you that you're a failure. He'll tell you that your situation is impossible. And if you don't know the truth, then you will end up believing the lies. If you don't know the truth, you'll end up believing anything. But worship destroys the lies of the enemy. Worship speaks to the greater reality. Worship speaks to the truth of who God is. With our eyes, it may look impossible, but we know that we serve a God that through him, all things are possible. Worship destroys the lies of the enemy. And also this, another important thing that worship does. Worship empowers you to endure any circumstance. Worship empowers you to endure any circumstance. Back in 1 Samuel 17, David defeats Goliath. He becomes known as a great warrior. Okay, this is the Paul Harvey moment. This is the rest of the story after the David and Goliath thing. So he defeats this great warrior. He becomes known all around the kingdom as like, man, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. I mean, it's kind of insulting to the king, but man, can you think how like, Wow, if people were talking about me that way, it'd be really easy for me to step in pride. And I don't know that David does that, but that's the kind of acclaim that he's getting in the kingdom. That's the kind of of fame and popularity that he's gaining. And, and, And so 
He gets a job in the king's court. He gets a promotion. He comes out of the fields with the sheep, and now he's a minstrel in the king's court. He's King Saul's personal musician, personal minstrel. And things probably seem quite amazing to David. He used to be this full-time shepherd, tending to the sheep, making sure they were watered, making sure they were safe, making sure they were fed. And that wasn't a nerf life. That's hard work. But now David finds himself kind of like on easy street. Like, man, I used to do all this hard work and now I get to sit around and play guitar all day? Every musician's dream. (laughs) But then all of a sudden, Saul goes haywire. King Saul goes haywire and now he is trying to kill David because a spirit of jealousy has arrested Saul's heart. And he's allowed evil to come into the place of his heart and he's trying to kill David because David's so popular, he's so well-loved. And Saul has made his, his mistakes. Saul has, has made some pretty atrocious um, um, acts against what God has specifically told him to do. And so he's out trying to kill David and David goes home to his wife and David's wife tells him, if you want to live to see another day, you're not gonna sleep here tonight. You gotta get out of this house. You gotta leave. So David crawls out of the window in the middle of the night. David and all of his loyal friends, they're out in the wilderness. They're, they, they're, they got out of Dodge. They're banned on the run now. And, and so they're, they're, they're exiled, basically. They're just trying to stay safe. They're trying to stay alive. And David now is in the position of like, man, Things just kind of turned on a dime. Things aren't so great now. This isn't easy street anymore. And so now he begins to second guess everything. He's looking around at his friends and he, he starts telling God, God, my friends are losers. God, they're broke. God, they're the outcasts of society. Come on, God, I need some help here. So David and his crew, they're hiding out in the wilderness. They're running from crazy King Saul for years. Some scholars say it was as, as few as eight years. Some say it could have been double that. They're on the run. And, and he's hiding out in these caves and he's worshiping God. That's the one thing, that's the constant thing that David continued to do from the fields to the king's court and now to the caves. He continues to worship God and he's writing songs that we still sing today. That's pretty remarkable. He's being hunted, but he turns his attention toward God, and he sets his mind to think about God and declare who God is instead of letting his circumstance overwhelm him. He's not sitting on the throne, but he's sitting in the dirt, and he says, my situation isn't easy. It doesn't look like what I thought it would look like, but my goal is just this one thing. to gaze on his beauty. It doesn't matter if I'm on the throne. It doesn't matter if I'm in the dirt. The one thing I desire is to gaze on his beauty. 
I can do it anywhere. I can do it in any circumstance. I can do it if I'm rich. I can do it if I'm poor. I can do it if I'm sick. I can do it if I'm well. I can do it if my kids love Jesus. I can do it if my kids don't love Jesus. Just one thing. I want to seek. I want to gaze upon his beauty. You guys, there are many things in this life that we will not be able to fight through, but there is nothing in this life that we will not be able to worship through. There have been days in my life, and there will be days in your life where we will stand and we will choose to worship God in the midst of the bleakest circumstances, and others will look at you and be like, how are you able to worship God right now? This doesn't make sense, but your response will be to worship him. You might not even know what else to do. You're like, I don't even know what else to do. So I'm gonna just give God honor and praise because he's worthy no matter what my circumstance is. You might not know how to talk to people, but talk to God. You might not know what to say, but worshiping God will be the very best thing that you absolutely can do. Even when the circumstance says it doesn't make sense, declaring who he is will make sense. In some of the darkest days of my life, only thing I could do is close my eyes and with tears running down my face and just sing or just say it or just barely get the words out. Sometimes it's just like that and I declare in my thoughts and out of my mouth, God, it's not about me. It's not about my story. These are dark days, but God, you are still good. You are still good. You are good. You keep on getting better. Not because there's room for you to keep on getting better, but there's room in my revelation of your goodness. God, you keep on getting better. Last week, we ended our time together by putting this into practice. We're going to do this again. Worship team, let's go ahead and come back up here. But I don't want us to miss this opportunity right now before we go into worship. We just start declaring who God is. There might be those, those of us in the room today where we might feel apart from God. We might feel separated from him for whatever reason. Maybe you've followed Jesus at one point in your life, but today you look at your life and say, no, I'm not following Christ. Or maybe not one time ever in your life have you made the conscious decision, I'm going to make God, I'm gonna make Jesus the Lord of my life. Maybe you haven't even thought in, in that kind of vocabulary before, but something is stirring on the inside of you now, and I wanna tell you what that is. That's the Spirit of God communicating to your spirit, and he's revealing to you the truth that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one other can come to the Father except through him. So I wanna give you the opportunity right now to make the decision to declare Jesus as your Lord. The Bible says this. It says that if we declare with our mouth, if we believe in our heart that 
Christ was raised from the dead, that God raised him from the dead, and if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. And you know what? And that's just the beginning. That's just like stepping over the threshold on a path to following Jesus. That's not all there is to it. There's this whole new life and this discovery of who God is and who he's called you to be. And it's a wonderful journey that we get to do together as a church family. But it begins with this belief in your heart and this confession with your mouth. And so if that's you today and you wanna make that decision, I just invite you to pray with me right where you're sitting right now. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I come to you right now. God, I come to you right now. And I just wanna give my life to you. I don't wanna keep doing it the way that I've been doing it, but I want to change and I want you to come and make a change in my life that I can't make. I've been trying to make this difference in my life and I, I mess it up every time. And God, I feel something drawing me to you. And so I wanna say yes to it right now. So I'm just declaring God that I believe in my heart that God raised you, Jesus, from the dead. And I'm declaring with my mouth that you are my Lord, that you are in charge of my life, that I will follow you all the days of my life. And I ask you to come and change my life and fill me with your Holy Spirit and make a difference with my life. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand up together. Let's declare who God is. Remember, worship destroys the lies of the enemy. Worship helps you endure any circumstance. Worship is a place where we come to know more about who God is. Where God, open our understanding right now. Open the eyes of our understanding to see you greater than we've seen you before. Go ahead right now with your own mouth and your own words. Begin to lift up praise and honor and worship. Thanks for listening. Stay connected with us at SeedsChurchTN.com and on social media. Our mission at Seeds Church is to help people discover who God created them to be and equip them to do what He called them to do. One of the easiest ways you can help us accomplish our mission is by simply sharing this podcast. You can do so by subscribing, leaving a review on iTunes, or sharing it with your friends on Facebook. Thanks again for listening. We hope to see you soon.